0: Seems to be all right. What I plan to do is leave the hotel at 6.30 tomorrow morning. Isn't that early for an 8 a.m. flight? Well, I like to get there a little early. I should be in L.A. at a quarter to eleven. Shall I come directly to the hospital or what? They want to do a bypass, Grace says. How does she look? Gray. Tired. Sad. She's resting quietly now, but the pain was excruciating. I shouldn't have come east, he says. You didn't know this would happen. I should have come home the minute you called. Nonsense. It was important that you stay. I guess so. Anyway, I'll be home tomorrow. How did it go? Oh, fine. The usual. Have you had dinner yet? No, I just got back. I want to shower and change, then I'll go down. Where will you eat? I thought Trattoria. It's right around the corner. Yes, it's good there. I want to get to bed early. It's been a busy day. Here, too. I'll call again when I'm back from dinner, he says. You don't have to, Ben. Well, I want to. When will they do it, do you know? Tomorrow morning, I think. It has something to do with all the numbers being right. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'll try you when I get back. Really, you don't have to. Well, okay, then. Call me if you need me, Grace. I will. Otherwise, I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. I'll be leaving for the hospital early. Yes, but we're still three hours. Oh, right, I forgot. In fact... Well, let me see. He hears her sighing on the other end of the line. You'll be asleep, he says. We'll probably begin boarding around 7.30. That's only 4.30, your time. Maybe I'd better call you when I get back from... Oh, for Christ's sake, don't worry about it, she snaps. The line goes silent. Well, if I don't talk to you before then, I'll see you at the hospital. Fine. Call me if you need me, Grace. I will. Love you. Love you, too, she says, and hangs up. Gently, he replaces the receiver on its cradle. It is always, call me if you need me, Grace. Grace. In the twenty-two years they've been married, she has called him only once, and then to tell him that Margaret fell from a horse at camp. He travels a lot. There are always clients to confer with in St. Louis or Chicago, sites to inspect in New Orleans or New York, lectures to deliver in Omaha or Salt Lake City. He is Benjamin Thorpe, an important architect who is very much in demand. It is still raining hard outside. His daughter lives in Princeton, New Jersey, where her husband is a tenured professor of economics. Charles is perhaps the cheapest man in the United States of America, if not the entire world. It would never occur to him to make a long-distance call to find out how Margaret's grandmother is doing out there in the wilds of Los Angeles. Nor would it ever occur to her to pick up the phone of her own volition, call Ben here, call her mother out there for a progress report. This is now twenty past seven. His darling daughter has known since twelve noon that her grandmother had a heart attack early this morning L.A. time and that her mother is frantic with worry, but she has not called since Ben spoke to her earlier today. Perhaps she's been too busy barbecuing hamburgers and hot dogs in her backyard. He dials the New Jersey number now, hoping he won't get Charles the First, as he refers to him in private to Grace, the implied hope being that one of these days Margaret will move on to a second, more desirable mate. He is happy when his granddaughter picks up the phone. This is the Harris residence, she pipes in her three-year-old voice. Hi, Jenny, he says. Is this Grandpa? This is Grandpa. Is this Jenny? Hi, Grandpa. Are you watching television? No, are you? They're still talking about John John. Yes, darling, I know. I want to go put flowers at his building. Maybe Mommy will take you. And she says no. Will you take me, Grandpa? I can't, honey. I have to go back to L.A. Ask her to take me, okay, she says, and is suddenly gone. He waits. He does not like being a grandfather. He is only 43 years old, and he blames his present premature senior citizen status on his daughter who married at the age of seventeen and delivered Jenny a scant ten months later. A man of forty-three, well, almost forty-four, should not be a grandfather. He does not enjoy being called Grandpa or Gramps, or as Charles I is fond of putting it, Papa Ben. He is Benjamin Thorpe, Esquire, famous architect, whose multi-level concept echoes the very precepts of the law— Exalted justice on high, abject supplicants below, and not anybody's damn grandpa. His daughter comes on, high-pitched and frantic as usual. He cannot imagine how he ever spawned such a nervous individual. She's dead, right? she says at once. No, Margaret, she's not dead. Everybody's dying, she says. Isn't it awful, what happened? Honey, if Jenny wants to go put flowers... I can't take her into the city just for that, Dad. It's important to her, he says. All the way down to Tribeca, no less, she says, dismissing it. What's Grandma's condition? She's all right for now. They'll be doing a bypass tomorrow morning, providing the numbers are right. What numbers? Numbers? They do various tests to determine whether it's okay to operate. Don't worry, she'll be all right. There's a long silence on the line. He never seems to know what to say to his daughter these days, his own daughter. Why don't you call Mom, he suggests. Maybe I will, she says, which means she won't. Well, I have to go now, he says. What time is your flight? Eight tomorrow morning. Margaret? Yes, Dad? These things are important to children. I was only eight when his father got killed in Dallas. I still remember it. Charles doesn't think it's a good idea, she says. Well, there is another long silence. Do you want to come here for dinner, she asks. I thought I'd get something near the hotel. You're always welcome here, she says. Thank you, darling, but I really don't think so. Well, call me when you hear something about Grandma, okay? She says. His personal telephone directory is written in a code only he can understand. In order to decipher it, he depends largely on his own very good memory. He can recall the plot and also lines of dialogue from every movie he's ever seen. Heather's last name is Epstein. She is a 20-year-old architectural student whom he met in April when he was doing a guest lecture at Cooper Union. Ben has her listed in his directory as Stein, Ephraim. Her area code is 212, of course. She lives right here in Manhattan. But to throw off the bloodhounds whenever, or if ever, they decide to go sniffing through his book, he lists the area code as 516. So if anyone dials 516 and then the phone number in an attempt to get Ephraim Stein, who is in reality Heather Epstein, he will instead get some stranger in Nassau County who never heard of Benjamin Thorpe. He dials her number now. He has just come out of the shower. He is still wearing only a towel. Heather Epstein. Five feet seven inches tall, long blonde hair, blue eyes, a wide-shouldered, big-breasted Jewish girl who knelt before him three hours after they met and asked him to touch her hair while she sucked his cock. He feels himself becoming faintly tumescent under the towel. The phone is ringing. Once. Twice. Hello? Her little girl voice. Heather? Yes? She sounds sleepy. She always sounds sleepy. He visualizes her in a baby doll nightgown. Wide hips, full thighs, long, splendid legs. It's Ben, he says. Ben Thorpe. At the lecture that night in April, she was wearing a long tan skirt. Her beautiful legs came as a delightful surprise. That was the only time he went to bed with her, that one night here in New York. Ever since, it's been phone sex. She sometimes calls in collect at the office and says, Hi, what are you doing? Which means, would you like to jerk off with me? Guess what, he says now. I'm here in New York, alone. There is a silence. I haven't heard from you in a while, she says. I thought you'd forgotten all about me. How could I forget you? How do you know I haven't got a boyfriend by now? I hope you haven't. Married man can't ever see me unless he's in New York giving a guest lecture. When did you get here? I came in on the red eye this morning. So what took you so long to call? I'd been busy all day. You should have called earlier. I'm going to a party. I was just about to shower. I'm already showered, he says. So what would you like to do, she asks, her voice lowering. What would you like to do? What do you think I'd like to do? I mean tonight. What would you like to do tonight? Heather, I'm here alone. That means we can spend the night together, the way we did that other time. A hundred years ago? Anyway, how do you know I want to spend the night with you? Don't you? Maybe. How do you know I haven't already made plans to spend the night with somebody else? You think I just sit around here waiting for you to call? No, but waiting for you to tell me to take off my panties? Can you meet me? There is another long silence. Then she says, I told you I'm going to a party. Skip the party. We'll have our own party. I want to see you, Heather. I want to spend the night with you waits. I'm sorry, she says. I've made other plans, and hangs up. He puts the phone receiver back on the cradle. Rain is lashing the windows. I should have accepted whatever she was ready to give, he thinks. He dresses casually but elegantly, a gray cashmere jacket, darker gray flannel trousers, a pale blue button-down shirt with a darker blue tie, blue socks, and black shoes. He looks at himself in the mirror inside the closet door. To tell the truth, he does not think of himself as particularly good-looking. Quite average, in fact. Five feet ten inches tall, 170 pounds, eyes brown, nose a trifle too long for his face, hair dark, a totally average American male. Who are you? he wonders. He goes to the minibar, opens himself a beef eater from one of the small bottles arrayed on the shelf, pours it over ice. Grace doesn't like him to drink gin. That's why he drinks it. Fuck you, Grace. Sitting in a black leather easy chair under a standing floor lamp, he sips his drink and leisurely consults his address book again. He can feel the brittle booze burning its way down to his gut, feel, too, a spreading, anticipative warmth in his groin. He does not yet know who, but some woman somewhere will soon be offering him comfort. Tonight is going to be the X-rated version of Home Alone. Tonight is going to be the rains came and garter belt and open crotch panties. He is leafing through the M's when he comes to Milton David. Oh, yes, he thinks, Millicent Davies, right here in New York City, although the area code listed in his book is 813. Yes, dear, dark-eyed, dark-haired Millie. He takes another sip of the gin. Beautiful, he says, and dials. He looks at his watch. It is already five minutes to eight. Ah, the phone is ringing now. Once. Twice. Hello? Millie? Who's this? Ben. Jesus, Ben, I've got a house full of people here. I just wanted to... I told you never to call me again. What the hell's wrong with you? And hangs up. He looks at the receiver. He feels instant anger. What the hell's wrong with me, he thinks. What the hell's wrong with you? After everything we did together on the phone, all those times, you ungrateful bitch, he thinks, and slams the receiver down into the cradle. He is not a man who frequents saloons as such, but he does enjoy sitting at restaurant bars, waiting for Grace, usually, or at hotel bars when he's alone in another town, as he is alone tonight. He sits alone on a stool, toying with the olive in his second gin since sundown, listening to the heavy rain lashing the windows on the street side of the room, hearing the sound of the lounge piano smoothing the clatter of cocktail conversation. The buzz in the lounge is all about the discovery of the Three Bodies, some seven miles off Martha's Vineyard. Everyone is talking about the tragedy. It is now ten minutes past eight. The men and women sitting here drinking and chatting have already known for several hours that JFK Jr. and his wife and sister-in-law are, in fact, dead. Ben can remember the day President Kennedy got killed. Well, his eighth birthday, how could he forget? The grief in this room is almost palpable. There is a shared intimacy among these strangers joined.